Welcome to another episode of our Molecular Cell Biology Podcast, a show in which we explore the inner functioning of our cells, the little structures that, when put together, form every tissue, every organ, and every system in our bodies. I am your host, Dr. Herman Rosacosta, Associate Professor at the Department of Biological Sciences at UTEP, the University of Texas at El Paso. In this episode, we will explore how the carrier of our genetic information, that is our DNA, the whole bunch of it that exists inside our cells, is properly stored inside the nucleus. Question. Have you ever wondered how long is your DNA? I guess you might be thinking, how long is my DNA? What does that mean? Well, remember, your DNA, your genetic material, exists in the form of chromosomes. And those chromosomes are linear molecules of DNA of different lengths. And you have 23 pairs of them. One full set of 23 that you got from your mom, and another set of 23 that you got from your dad. And you have that same amount of DNA in every cell in your body with the sole exception of red blood cells, which at some point during their development lose their nuclei and therefore they end up also losing their DNA. So again, every cell in your body contains a complete copy of your entire genome, 23 pairs of chromosomes. So imagine that you have a set of nano tweezers and imagine that with those tweezers, you have the ability to pull each chromosome from one of the cells in your body and spread them up neatly, one next to the other. If you were to do that with all 46 chromosomes from a single cell, that is, spread them up and put them neatly one next to the other so that their ends barely touch, what do you think will be the resulting length of the linear spread of DNA molecules that you will obtain. Do you think it will be a small distance? A few inches perhaps? Less than a foot? How about a few feet long? Or how about hundreds of feet long? Miles perhaps? What would you say? Think about it for a couple of seconds. Well, the correct answer is that if you were to spread open all 46 chromosomes and put them neatly one next to the other, they will extend a distance of about 6 feet. Yep, 6 feet. Not one more, not one less. 6 feet. Or, using the international metric system, about 2 meters long. That's all. Okay, time now for a brief break. Okay, let's get back with our topic. We have established that the length of all the DNA that you have in a cell is about 6 feet long. With that fact at hand, then the next important question is how do you fit all of it in the cell nucleus? Okay, let's state that again. How do you fit 6 feet of DNA 
in a cell nucleus which is, in average, between 5 to 10 micrometers in diameter. Okay, we need to define that diameter a little better. A micrometer is a thousandth of a millimeter, which is a thousandth of a meter. But I guess that probably doesn't really give you much reference. So let's think of this. A sheet of paper is about 70 to 180 micrometers thick. A very thin human hair is about 17 micrometers in diameter. So we are talking of a nucleus that has a diameter that is about half the thickness of a thin human hair. So Packaging a long and narrow set of 46 molecules of DNA spanning about 6 feet in length in a tiny nucleus with a diameter between 5 to 10 micrometers is obviously not a simple matter. And to make things even more challenging, keep in mind that the DNA has to be neatly packed in the nucleus so that the information contained within may be accessed effectively and readily when needed. There is one additional condition. The DNA must be organized in such a way that it can be rapidly reorganized to allow the type of changes needed to allow the cell to progress through mitosis, which is the process by which cells divide into two new daughter cells. Okay, so the short answer to our question, how to pack all that DNA in that tiny nucleus, that very challenging question is that we know a few things about how the DNA is organized in the nucleus, but there are still many unknowns. So what do we know for sure? Well, we know that the DNA is rolled up or coiled up around a core of globular proteins that form a circular structure, kind of like how a car tire is grabbed around the rim. The tire is the DNA, and the rim are the central core of proteins that allow the DNA to wrap around it. Those proteins that form the rim belong to a class of small proteins known as histones, like his and stones, histones. Histones are characterized by being small compared to most of the proteins we have in our cells. Their length is only about 130 amino acid residues. Histones are also characterized by being positively charged thanks to the presence of a high number of positively charged amino acid residues in their primary sequences, mostly arginines and lysines. There are four different histones that come together to form the protein core, the rim around which DNA wraps. Those four histones are histones H2A, H2B, H3 and H4. Each one of those histones is slightly different from the other, and there are two copies of each one of them in the rim. So each rim is made of a total of eight proteins. The DNA wraps around the protein core, making 1.67 turns around it. So it's not 
two turns altogether, it's only 1.67 turns. Because of the diameter of the rim, there are around 147 base pairs of nucleotides, the building blocks of DNA that end up tightly associated to the rim. The whole structure, the histones plus the associated DNA, is known as a nucleosome. And it constitutes the basic structure responsible for the organized packaging of DNA in the nucleus. Again, it is called the nucleosome. By the way, the reason why the DNA wraps around so perfectly around the core of histones is because DNA is naturally negatively charged due to the presence of phosphate groups on its structure. So the negatively charged DNA backbone establishes close interactions with the positively charged amino acid residues present in the histones. This is a critical idea because if you can regulate how charged the amino acid residues are, you can regulate how tightly packed the DNA is. And this can be achieved by attaching different modifiers to the histones in a process known as post-translational modification. Again, you can modify the charges in the histones by attaching different groups or modifiers to the histones in a process known as post-translational modifications. This is a key essential idea. So I'm going to repeat it one more time. Histones, just like many other proteins, can be modified by attaching different molecules to them. These modifications, known as post-translational modifications, regulate the functionality of the proteins being modified. As the main function of histones is DNA packaging, then post-translational modifications of histones can regulate DNA packaging. So the DNA molecule wraps around a core of eight proteins known as histones, making 1.67 turns around it, and nucleosomes formed in close proximity to each other, making one nucleosome every 200 base pairs. And that's the basic unit of DNA organization in the nucleus, the nucleosome. An array of about 200 base pairs that wrap around a core made of pairs of four different histone proteins known as H2A, H3, H3, and H4. So the length of each chromosome is diminished about six to seven fold by its wrapping around histones, forming hundreds of thousands of nucleosomes per chromosome. And with this in mind, it is time for another break. Okay, so now we know that DNA wraps around proteins known as histones, making 1.67 turns around the histones and forming structures known as nucleosomes. And nucleosomes are formed one next to the other. 
but because of the number of turns that the DNA makes around each histone core, the rim, then there is a little bit of spacing between one nucleosome and the next. That spacing is provided by DNA that is not tightly associated to the histones. That DNA is referred as linker DNA. And since it is not wrapped around histones, that linker DNA is more accessible. And because of that, it plays important regulatory functions. The sequences that modulate the activation of gene expression, known as promoters and enhancers, those sequences are frequently found in those linker DNA regions. The distance between the middle of a linker region and the next one is about 200 base pairs. So the average length of a nucleosome plus its associated linker DNA region is about 200 base pairs. And the structure that is produced by the succession of nucleosomes, one after the other, in relatively close proximity, is known as the 10 or 11 nanometer fiber. Again, it's the 10 or 11 nanometer fiber. Because the thickness of the DNA, when it is organized like this, is about 10 to 11 nanometers, which is a new dimension. A nanometer is a thousandth of a micrometer. The thickness of the double-stranded DNA molecule is about 2 nanometers. So this 10 to 11 nanometer fiber is also known as the chromatin fiber. So chromatin is DNA plus its associated proteins. And this is an important definition. And therefore, I will repeat it once again. The term chromatin, which is frequently used in molecular biology, is used to refer to chromosomal DNA plus its associated proteins. So now you have shortened the length of the DNA because you have wrapped it around histones forming nucleosomes. But is that enough packaging to allow all of the DNA to comfortably fit into the cell nucleus? Well, the answer is easy. No. It is necessary to pack the DNA even further because wrapping the DNA around nucleosomes only reduces the length of the DNA by about six to seven fold. So how is further packaging accomplished? Well, in the past, it was believed that the nucleosomes will be wrapped around each other, forming a thicker fiber that was referred to as the 30 nanometer fiber. The formation of those structures was related to the activity of one additional histone, a histone known as histone H1, characterized by being about twice the size of the other histones. The 30 nanometer fibers were thought of being highly organized and capable of wrapping themselves around their own axis, thus forming larger ordered coil structures. The formation of the 30 nanometer fibers was observed in experiments performed in vitro using nothing but isolated components, that is, DNA 
the four core histones H2A, H2B, H3 and H4 and histone H1. However, it has been recently demonstrated that the DNA, when present in the nucleus of the typical mammalian cell, does not form 30 nanometer fibers. Instead, it forms regions of relatively closely associated strands of DNA, spanning well-defined segments of the chromosome, and flanked by protein-rich boundaries that isolate them from the adjacent chromosomal regions. Those regions are denominated topologically associating domains, or topologically associated domains, or TATs. And TATs are now considered to be the mid-range structural elements of DNA organization in the cell. Okay, before continuing, take note on a couple of things. First, Notice how the way we used to understand how DNA was further packaged in the cell nucleus has been recently revised, and the old dogma doesn't hold true anymore. You may wonder, why is that the case? And even more importantly, you may wonder how frequently does this happen in biology, that what we consider to be true is later on revised and changed in a rather substantial way. Well, let's take a brief break before we address these topics and then move on to explain with a little more detail what TATs are all about. Okay, we are now aware that the way chromatin is further packed in the cell nucleus is not the way we initially believed. This is due to the type of experimental systems used. When this topic was first studied, the approach used involved in vitro systems that do not fully recreate the environment present in the cell. Because of that, you can force the essential macromolecules used primarily DNA in this case, to behave in ways slightly different from the way they behave in the cellular environment. The concept of the TATs was achieved by looking at the nuclear environment and the way the DNA normally looks like in that environment using high magnification and high resolution microscopy analysis as well as chemical cross-linking approaches followed by deep DNA sequencing methods that allow researchers to more accurately assess the way DNA is organized in its natural cellular environment. This exemplifies the type of change and refinement that characterizes scientific knowledge. As the methods evolve, our knowledge becomes more precise, more detailed, and sometimes this drives substantial changes in the way we understand biological events. This is not unusual, and it is one of the most important features of scientific knowledge, that is, its ability to continuously self-correct and improve. Okay. So now let's try to understand better what topologically associating domains or TATs are all about. 
The best way to understand tats is to think of them as regions, long stretches of chromosomal DNA that loop around, forming regions that touch each other very frequently and therefore are structurally in close proximity to each other, even if sequence-wise they may be fairly apart from each other. To understand this concept, think of families living in very large apartment buildings. In fact, imagine a building with exactly 23 floors. In each floor, imagine that you have about 150 different families, each living in their own apartments, which means you have 150 apartments per floor. Within each apartment, the members of each family interact very closely with each other, but they rarely interact with members of any other apartment. However, each apartment has a well-defined number of neighboring apartments and a well-defined location within their own individual floor. In this analogy, each floor represents a full chromosome, and each apartment represents a topologically associating domain, or TAT. The family members that live in each apartment represent the genes that are located in the same TAT. They are regulated mostly as a group. When one member of the group is awake, chances are that member will wake up all the other members of the family. Similarly, genes located within the same TAT are typically co-regulated simultaneously. So the genes that share the same TAT exhibit typically similar levels of activity or inactivity. I hope this analogy allowed you to better understand how TATs work. Now, we know that there are specific proteins that associate to the chromosomal regions that separate adjacent TATs, creating specific barriers between them and helping define the specific limits of TATs. We also know that in humans, the vast majority of TATs range in size between 200,000 base pairs and 2.5 million base pairs. However, we still ignore most of the molecular details of the elements responsible for organizing TATs in the first place and their mode of action. So that's an ongoing area of research. And with that, it's time for another break. Now that we have a better idea of what topologically associated domains are, it is time to introduce the last essential idea of this podcast. The idea that the level of packaging of any TAT dictates whether it will be active or inactive. For a region of DNA to be active, the molecular players that are required to read the information stored in the DNA need to gain access to it. And that means that to be accessible, the DNA must be in an intermediate or rather loose level of packaging. Otherwise, it'll be inaccessible and therefore it won't be readable. To better understand this, imagine that the information written in our DNA 
is like text written in a book. Most of the books that we use frequently are kept in bookcases where they are easily accessible. But if it is a book that you very rarely use, like say an old textbook from when you were in high school, then that book is probably in a box somewhere in the garage. On the other hand, if it is a book you read frequently, it might be on your night table right by your bed. And if it is a book you are reading right now, it surely is fully open right in front of your eyes and probably resting on your lap. This applies to DNA and chromatin, because to read the information written in the DNA, it needs to be fully open, like the book you are currently reading that rests on your lap. DNA regions carrying information frequently needed are kept loosely packed, like books in a bookcase, and DNA regions containing information that is rarely used are kept tightly packed, like the books you keep in boxes. Loosely and intermediately packed chromatin, that is fairly accessible chromatin, is referred to as euchromatin. Eu meaning true, so true chromatin. Whereas tightly packed, that is difficult to access chromatin, is referred to as heterochromatin. The regulation of chromatin packaging is exerted at the level of topologically associating domains, or TATs. So TATs can exist as loosely or intermediately packed chromatin, that is, as euchromatin, or as tightly packed chromatin, that is, as heterochromatin. From this perspective, it becomes obvious that all genes present within a single TAT usually share the same level of packaging. One additional idea associated to this. The packaging levels can be actively regulated, and the sum of the genes that are on and off in any given cell is what, in the end, provides cells with their own identity. So a liver cell, for instance, has a different array of genes that are on from those in a neuron. So DNA packaging and its regulation plays critical roles for the usage and availability of the information stored in the DNA. Regulating DNA packaging regulates the usage of genomic information. And the packaging of DNA is also dictated by the stage of the cell cycle. This is simply because for cell division to occur with the highest accuracy possible, so that each of the two new daughter cells produced at the end of cell division will end up with exactly the same array of chromosomes, the DNA must be packed to the maximum level possible. So, during mitosis, the name given to the process of cell division in eukaryotic cells, the DNA is packaged to its maximum degree of condensation, forming the mitotic chromosomes that we typically think of when we talk about chromosomes. Those mitotic chromosomes have a well-defined central region, known as the centromere, and two ends on each side, which are known as the telomeres. 
And it is easy to imagine during this stage of the cell cycle that there is no access whatsoever to the information stored in the DNA as it is too tightly packed and therefore fully inaccessible. All the books are in boxes to follow our analogy with books. Okay, and with this, it is time to take our final break before we summarize it all up. And it is time to sum it all up. So, in this episode, we learn numerous facts and ideas related to the way our genome is structured and packaged in the cell nucleus. First, we learned that our genome is made of 23 pairs of chromosomes, which are linear molecules of DNA, and this genome is initially packed by wrapping it around proteins known as histones, forming structures known as nucleosomes. We also learned that nucleosomes are placed in close proximity to each other, living in between a short area of DNA not associated to any histone. Those areas are known as linker DNA. We also learned that further packaging of each chromosome is achieved by looping it around, forming areas of closely associated DNA, known as topologically associating domains or TATs. Those TATs play important roles in regulating the activity of the DNA by dictating its accessibility. Because to be usable, a DNA region must be accessible to the molecular machinery needed to transcribe the information stored in the DNA. We also learned that the packaging of the DNA can be tightly regulated and that this is an important way to regulate gene expression and cell identity. And one of the ways to do so is by changing the structure of the histones by so-called post-translational modifications. And here are other important ideas that we also discussed. First, science changes all the time, and many concepts are fully revised as new methods are developed, which allow for better testing of the available models and ideas. And finally, there are still many unanswered questions related to how DNA packaging is regulated and how the changes that are observed are actually performed. And this is true of most areas related to molecular cell biology, so there is plenty of work to be done to better understand the molecular functioning of the cell. And with this, we come to the conclusion of another episode of our Molecular Cell Biology Podcast, a show in which we explore the inner functioning of our cells. Remember that knowledge has intrinsic value of its own, and therefore it adds real value to your life. That's why our official mantra for this show is that knowledge is power. If you like this podcast, indicate so by liking it and subscribing to our podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, email me at grosasacosta at me.com. Once again, the email is grosasacosta at me.com. And indicate 
podcast in your subject line. If you are curious and want to explore even more, visit my webpage. To do so, Google the Flu Sumo Guy. That should drag you to my webpage where you will find the transcript to this podcast along with numerous extra links and materials to help you learn more about yourselves and yourself. Thank you for listening to this show.